we thank you so much, Lord, that you are always faithful, Lord. Uh, even when we're not, Lord, that you chase us down, you pursue us, Lord. I just thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you, Lord. I thank you for the incredible honor and privilege and, and security it is to be called a child of God, Lord. I thank you for your love, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, Lord, that you pour out so freely on us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus.
so good. And um, he's always there. No matter what you're uh, going through, no matter what you're up against, he's always there. His arms are always open wide. And the altar is always open. Whether you've been following him your whole life or you've never had an encounter, his arms are open wide. 
He loves you more than you could ever begin to imagine. And He sees you for who He, he made you to be. Not who you see yourself as. It's so easy to get bogged down or feel defeated because of how we see ourselves. Man, I keep messing up. Man, why do I keep doing that? Man, why do I treat them like that? Man, why do I? We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. I mean, that's the premise of the gospel, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but God sent His Son to die in our place to pay the price. For Him to see good in us, the good that He put there, whatever it is, this is your chance to lay it down and to forgive yourself because he's already forgiven you. You are washed white as snow. So let's quit living like the black sheep. Let's quit feeling like the black sheep. Let's quit getting down on ourselves and limiting what we can do for God because of the limits that we see in ourselves. That's not his purpose for us.
Father, as we thank you and praise you today for the privilege of being able to approach you as people who are clean and righteous and restored because of the blood of your Son. God, our, our altar was the cross, our sacrifice, your Son, the only sacrifice
sins that came before the cross, the sins that would come after the cross, God, you saw them all, and all are covered. Lord, the ones that we know that we've made, the ones that we don't know yet that we will do, the things we don't know we will do to sin against you are things that you things that you covered in Jesus. God, may we live lives of gratitude and worship and praise for that. Lord, we love you. We worship you together today. We thank you, God, that in Christ, you, our Father, welcome all of us with arms open wide. Lord, may we receive your love and give you all our love in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. That's the praise alert. You guys are supposed to start clapping, right? Good morning. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for worshiping together. Thank you for making it important in your life, in your week, to come be here together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worship the Lord together. If you are a guest today, we are thankful to have you here. You have also come upon the day of that most blessed of church events, the potluck. <laughs> so um, we're excited to have you here. If you are a guest today, thank you for being here. Um, thank you for being here with us. We would love to be able to connect with you either by you filling out one of those new here cards on the seat in front of you or just stopping by our guest table in the lobby on your way out today. But we hope that you won't leave too quick and you would join us uh, afterwards for our back to school bash we're going to talk about in just a moment. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward if they would do so as we continue to worship with our tithes and offerings. Again, thank you, those of you who also make it a priority and make it an important part of your life to give back to the Lord uh, what He has given to us. We continue to worship. We continue to work together alongside Him. Uh, it's amazing to not be needed, but to be allowed to be part of what God is doing in this building, uh, in this city, in our country, in our world. Um, there's a lot of places where the ministry of our church is privileged to be able to reach uh, through our folks, through our missionaries, and we want to just continue to be a part of that. Let's pray for this morning's offering. Father, again, we ask that you would receive this from hearts that cheerfully give it to you in gratitude for what you've done for us, and that you would take it and multiply it to accomplish your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. As I said, all of you are very welcome today. We're thankful that you are here. Today after church is our back to school bash. Uh, you may have noticed the colorful slides being blown up in the back. Uh, we have a lot of fun. I told the adult Sunday school class today, uh, there, are, you know, there are no prohibitions for them to hit the water slides afterwards. So that, that's for everyone. You know, normally the kids are on there. Um, I'm, I'm going, so you guys should go too. Someone has to test it for the children, all right? So uh, we're excited. we got guys outside that are making the burgers already. Many of you have bought 
uh, brought food to be uh, part of the potluck today. If you came and you didn't know about that or if you weren't able to bring anything, it doesn't matter. You're welcome to stay and be a part of that today as we just celebrate and help our kids and our teachers and all of us kick off the new school year right after church today. You're welcome to stay and be a part of that. Also want to let you know, uh, because there's no announcement video today, uh, that I need to let you know that coming up in a couple weeks, we are going to have our first responders luncheon that we have every year. Uh, excited to have that opportunity just to serve and give back to our first responders again. We just did the Can Can Follies here, and we're able to support them in that way not too long ago, and we're excited about that. But our first responders luncheon is going to be from 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, September the 11th the 12th and the 13th. Uh, after discussing it last year with some of the folks who were involved in it, we felt like the best way for us to be able to serve and catch more of our first responders is to have the luncheon on more than one day. So we're going to have it on three days. We could use your help as volunteers. So if you are interested in being part of that, there's going to be a sign up and information about that coming up in the next few weeks. But if you could help uh, on any of those days for the First Responders Luncheon. We'd love to have your help for that, and you'll hear more about that in the future. I think that's all I have to uh, announce this morning. So again, thank you for being here. Uh, I'd like you to welcome to the stage in his outfit we matched today. Pastor Brandon is here to bring the word this yeah, morning. Yeah, I called him this morning here. just to make sure we could coordinate a little bit. No, I didn't really call him. Well, good morning. Um, as Pastor G said, my name is Brandon uh, Farr. I'm one of the pastors here on staff um, at the church. I work with the young people as well as do a few other things. But um, Pastor Corey, our lead pastor, and his wife, Melissa, are, are away on sabbatical for their 10 years uh, in ministry here in, in the community. We gave them as a church a, a six-week sabbatical. And that's great. It's great for them because they get to rest and renew and rejuvenate. I know the kids are back in school, and then Corey and Melissa are off doing their own thing right now. And so uh, they get to be together away from everybody and away from even their kids. And so that's good for them. We're excited for them. And we're excited also because when you hear the word sabbatical or Sabbath, it also makes us, you know, kind of question like we talked about before, well, what's that all about? And so we have to try to figure out um, what that means for us as, as a church body, but also as individuals. And I shared with you last time I was up here kind of Claudia and I's journey in the Sabbath and um, how we're, we're striving this year to make that a part of our lives. And in on, honesty, like it's, it's not been super easy. It's, it's, it's a gift. We're enjoying it, but we're still trying to figure out how all that works. But at the beginning, on the onset of when we wanted to make that decision, we really, we really kind of felt convicted, like, Here's this thing that God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we've kind of dismissed it because, you know, Jesus and he, you know, he talks about the Sabbath and the Pharisees abusing it. And it's so it's not as big of a deal. And so we just kind of looked at it that way for a long time. But then as we got to look into it a little more, we just saw how important it was to God that we would uh, remember the Sabbath and what that means. And so it's not a legalistic thing at all. It's actually a gift to us to be able to take some time and rest. And so I encourage you as Pastor uh, Corey and Melissa are off on their sabbatical that you would kind of consider for yourself. What, what would that look like in my own life? 
if I were to do Sabbath, make a, a habitual practice of practicing Sabbath, would, would, could I start once a week? Could I start once a month? What, God, what do you want me to do? And how can I remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? And so it's, it's, it's nice that we get to send them off and do that so it can also help us reflect on our own lives, right? And kind of see what that means to us. And so it's good. I, I promise you, as you try to practice it, um, you won't get it right. If you're trying to get it right, you're probably not doing it right. But um, it's all about just leaning uh, and resting in him. In quietness and rest is our salvation. There's something about us not striving for what we're trying to do in God, but us just leaning and resting in him. And that's a little bit about what Sabbath is doing. And so I do want to take a minute and pray for Pastor Corey and Melissa and their family um, as they're away. But I want it to be, uh, we did this before, but I want it to be a more of a thank, thanksgiving prayer. So as we remember them, we'll be thankful for them and thankful for the work that God's doing through them. But also as a body, I'd like us to just take a moment and be thankful for all the things in our lives. And so as I pray uh, for Corey and Melissa and my thankfulness for them and your thankfulness for them, I also pray that you would, you would be there. It's really hard sometimes when you pray to not just like, start asking God for things because we kind of associate, oh, I'm going to pray, so I'm going to go ask God for things. Let's not do that during this prayer time. It's good that we ask God for things, and I think he likes that we ask him for things, but it's also good that we thank him for things, right? And so let's take some time right before we get going into uh, today's message to just pause for a minute and just specifically and intentionally be thankful for the things that are in our lives, like little grandbabies in our hands. And difficult times even that we can be thankful for because of what it's producing in us. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a second. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You are a good God and we thank you. Thank you for things like Sabbath and sabbatical. That you give us good gifts. Thank you for Corey and Melissa and the call that you have on their lives. And their answering of that call and the work that you're doing through them. And thank you for the work that you're doing through all of us in our community. As we come together and give and serve and love. Thank you for showing us an example, Jesus, of what love means. Thank you for our family members that we get to practice love on and our neighbors. Thank you, God, for our employees and our employers. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you, Father, for the Paris community. Thank you that we have people in our community that deeply care about our community. Thank you for all the amazing things that are coming and happening in this area. Thank you for those that are at work making it happen. Thank you for the land that surrounds us and what a blessing it is and what a beauty it is. Thank you, God, for our waters. Thank you for everything that you've placed in our lives, God. We love you and we appreciate you. And everyone said, amen. Isn't it good to start with a little bit of Thanksgiving? Yes, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. We're just getting ready. Just getting ready for Thanksgiving. And so uh, we've started this series. We're going to jump right in here. We started this series, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And so we're taking a look at several of the difficult teachings that Jesus uh, told us to live by or to, to practice in our lives. We've hit, you know, Greg started us off, Greg, Pastor G started us off with love your enemies. And not only love your enemies, but be proactive about it. Then we talked about uh, denying ourselves and being less selfish and embracing the difficult things that are in our lives and following Jesus, living according to the spirit, not according to the, the flesh. We've talked about last week, forgiving those who have wronged us. And one of the parts about last week's message that kind of hit me was like the, the debt, just because it's forgiven, the debt doesn't disappear. The debt's still there. 
And so when we forgive others, we're essentially, we're essentially, and we're keeping that debt ourselves. We're paying the price for that debt. And that kind of spoke to me because, you know, when somebody wrongs you, there's this, this feeling that you have, this hurt and this pain. And when you forgive, it's like, I feel like I'm letting them off the hook or whatever, and I don't want to forgive. But yet I, I, I take that feeling on and I carry that debt so that, so that I can forgive. And that's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to, to do the things that Jesus is asking us to do. And today's that we're going to get into is probably one of the things that scares me the most as a, as, a, as a minister and as somebody who's dedicated his life to spiritual things, like the passage that we're going to get into today is one of those that, that brings me alert and alarm. And we'll get there in a minute. But before we get there, I do want to encourage you, like in all of the all of these things that we're talking about, we can look at the practices that Jesus is asking us to apply to our lives and we can try to do it in our own strength or we can, we can kind of look at it and be like, oh, that's too difficult. And we kind of already talked about that it's, it's, it is for everybody. It's not just for super Christians. There's not actually, uh, that doesn't exist. There isn't any super Christians that we are actually supposed to live these things out. But we can get a little bit of, I don't know, stress or anxiety of like, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I'm going to be able to love my enemies well the way that Jesus asked me to. I don't know that I can forgive or let this go. I don't know that I am going to always be aware of denying myself and, and trying to live according to the way that Jesus asked me. But the thing is, is that in these, I truly believe that with all my heart, that if we will take a step in obedience towards living those things out in our lives, that Jesus meets us in that place. Like, it, he doesn't meet us before we start working. It's like, it's almost like he meets us when we take the step. Anybody read the, Where the Red Fern Grows? Do they still do that in school? Uh, watch that movie or whatever where he's chopping away at the tree and he's doing all he can and, and he's just like, I can't do anymore. And God finally, you know, sends a wind or in the movie they depict that God sends a wind and knocks a tree down. Well, I think the same is kind of true in these practices and these things that we're trying to apply to our lives. Like, you can do it. You can do it. Look at the person next to you say, you can do it. All right, that, that was what was playing in my head, yeah, okay. You, you are able, you can. You can do the things that Jesus asks you to do. You just can't do them alone. You just can't do them alone. In fact, we talked about that, like you have to lean, lean and depend upon the Spirit uh, to be able to do it. But I promise as you try and as you take steps of obedience, you'll find hope in those things. And you'll find life in those things. As you submit to the Lordship of Jesus and as we try to obey him, we get filled with hope and we get filled with life and we get filled with strength and we get filled with encouragement. In fact, Jesus says it this way, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Think about your life for a minute and think about the struggles that you face. Do they seem heavy to you? Think about your efforts to be a better Christian or a Christ follower, do the right things. Does it, does it feel heavy to you. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And so it's interesting that he says that because when we look at the things that we're supposed to practice, it may seem like a burden. Life may seem like a burden or trying to live according to the principles of scripture, the way that God wants us to may seem like a burden. But Jesus says, if you come to me, if you do it with me, if you lean on me, actually it's light. It becomes light and it becomes easy. And so we have to trust and step out in obedience to do it. So I just wanted to encourage you in these things, like our goal is not to make you feel beat up. 
like you're not, you're not doing enough or, or that God doesn't love you because you did this, that, or the other. Our goal is to encourage you that, there's, that you can, like that you have help, that Jesus will help you apply the gospel to your life in every area of your life. We believe that the gospel truly does change everything. Amen? And so if we'll start walking that out through these teachings of Jesus, we'll see that come into play. We'll see things in our lives transforming and changing. But if we try to do it on our own, if we try to do it on our own, it will be heavy. It will be a burden. It will be difficult. And we will we'll, we'll kind of find a spiritual landscape that's a bit dry and dead and really kind of powerless um, to do the things that we want it to do in our lives. And so um, it's important because our faith is this beautiful orchestra of tension, working out our doubts, working out our hopes that one day we'll understand. But for whatever reason, our American attitude or our uh, human tendency is we want there to be clear-cut formula or a clear-cut answer, right? Anybody, anybody like me, you're like, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just give me the answer, all right? You ever pray that prayer? Just tell me, just tell me what to do. Just give me, just give me the answer. God, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. Just take it away, right? Maybe you're struggling with addiction or you're struggling with lustfulness or you're struggling with some of those acts of the flesh that we've mentioned. Like, you just like, God, I don't want to do those things. Just take them away and I'll be good, right? We, we just, God, just give me the answer. Just, we want this, I don't know. It's like we want this formula, like just to do this and this and then, okay, this is what's going to happen. But yet there's this tension in our faith right? There's always this tension. And sometimes if we're not spiritually alert, if we're not taking stock of where we're at in our spirit, we may just try to, to run away from those things or not embrace those things, those things that cause tension in our lives long enough for it to do a work in our hearts, long enough for it to do a work in our soul and in our spirit. Those clear-cut answers and those neatly packaged doctrines and those belief patterns that don't grow like or shift like, if we, if we stay in that and we avoid the tension that God puts us in sometimes, we may find ourselves dangerously in a dead landscape, a dead spiritual landscape. There's a spiritual landscape that uh, Ezekiel speaks of. He has this vision, and it's this vision of a river that I love, and I want to read a little bit of it because I want to kind of paint a picture of as we're trying to walk out the teachings of Jesus and as we try to look at our spiritual lives and as we try to assess where we're at spiritually, like, we want to look for the life, right? We want to see God moving and working in us. And then, so in the vision, he, it says, then he held me back along the riverbank. And when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this, this river, it flows through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea and the waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Okay, so stop for a minute. I didn't put this one on the screen because I wanted you to imagine it. You've got a river, and you've got the Dead Sea, and I don't know if you've seen pictures of that area of the globe, but it's not very green, right? It's pretty dry. The landscape is pretty salty and arid and sandy. And so you've got the Dead Sea that has so much uh, salt content because there's no outflow that no uh, fish live in it. And so imagine that there's this water that comes from God that fills the rivers and fills and flows into this dead place and makes it alive again, fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. 
for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from the En Gedi to the En Elglaim. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. And there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple and the fruit will be good for food and the leaves for healing. So imagine this beautiful oasis of a place teeming with life, teeming with purpose, teeming with healing, right? And then think about the landscape of your own soul. Where is the landscape of your own soul? Where is the landscape of our church community, the kind of spiritual landscape that we want, isn't it the kind that's like what Ezekiel's vision is? One that is teeming with life, one that always has provision, one that's always filled with purpose, one that has healing, one that is flourishing and pure and alive. I've shared this story before, but I think it helps kind of illustrate what we're going to be talking about from Matthew 7 today, Jesus' hard saying for Matthew 7. Uh, I was in Bible school. We were off on a missions trip uh, to, to Asia, to China. We were actually smuggling Bibles into China. And we were on one of the islands. It was either Hong Kong or Macau. I can't remember. But we were moving things around and trying to get ready to transport everything over in the mainland and do our work in the mainland. And we were, there's about 30 of us, and we're, we're moving and shipping things around. We're walking across this uh, sky bridge in, in this metropolitan area um, there in Asia. And there, I was about halfway up the group when we were walking across this, and I just decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to stop and just kind of look. It was at night. And I stopped and I leaned on the rail on the, on the sky bridge, and I just kind of looked out, and I just, just wanted to take it in for a moment. And I could see all the cityscape, and it was like this new place, and I was young, and I was just loving the adventure of it, just taking it all in, right? And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of ask me, like, uh, what are you doing? I'm on a missions trip. I'm serving, I'm serving you, Lord, you know. And then I kind of felt that same nag. And, and from that time, for a long season of my life, I began to try to figure out what God was asking me in that moment. And it became this thing of who are you doing this for? Like, what are you doing, but who are you doing this for? And I was like, well, I'm doing it for you, Lord. Like, you know, I'm in Bible college. I'm, you know, I'm doing the stuff. I'm studying. I'm, I've, I've answered the call. I'm going after you. I, I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing worship time. I'm getting up every morning and I'm spending time in your word. I'm spending an hour with you all the time. I'm doing, I'm doing the, the ministry. I'm on these missions trips. I'm planning on being on missions. I'm planning on being a pastor. I'm doing all these things. Like, I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm doing this for you. And I just kept feeling that feeling of who are you doing this for? What are you doing? Like, and it, he just, it just wouldn't leave me alone. And I began to realize in that season of my life that it was, it was more for me than for him. That I was doing things in my own strength that I had felt like I had gotten to this place like of, yeah, I'm doing this stuff now. And I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to church. I'm doing all the things. I'm, I'm a good guy. And I'm, I'm following Jesus with all my heart. But yet... It was really, I was doing things so that people could see me and say, oh, yeah, he's, he's on fire for the Lord. And, oh, yeah, he's, he's a good uh, pastor. And, oh, yeah, he doesn't do these things. He's not a bad sinner. And he loves. And so it was like this, this conflict inside of me of like, yeah, I was doing right things. But yet I got caught up in how it looked. I got caught up in what I could accomplish 
in my own strength and in my own my ownness, my own selfishness. It reminds me of this scripture uh, that we find in Luke 18. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and who scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That time period in my life was a time period where I was like, look at me. And look what I'm doing. And it wasn't about my relationship with Jesus anymore. It wasn't about me doing the will of the Father, but it was about me looking good in the eyes of others. I had lost touch with being able to honestly evaluate where I was on a spiritual level, to be able to honestly uh, take a look and assess my spiritual life. And so what about you? Like when you sit and think about your spirituality, when you think about where you're at with Jesus, when you think about your relationship with the Lord, what kinds of things come to your mind? Have you ever considered if you're good enough or not? Have you ever took inventory of all the things in your life and made a checklist of different things that you do that may or may not make you feel better about where you're at spiritually? Maybe you think of things like, uh, well, I go to church. I mean, obviously, right? I give money to the poor and I give money to the church and I do good things with my money. I volunteer. I'm kind to my neighbor. I read the Bible. I pray. I I'm not, hey, I'm not perfect. I've been doing pretty good, especially when I compare myself to that other person. All right, so what are some of the things that you think about when you assess your life spiritually? Or maybe, maybe you don't assess yourself very much spiritually because maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe it confuses you or it kind of stresses you out. So you figure like, you know what? I can just show up to church. You know, I said the prayer. I believe in Jesus. You know, just showing up and showing up to these places and just, it's enough. That's good. Or maybe you evaluate yourself and you just feel feel inadequate. You have a hard time reading the Bible. You can't seem to get into the routine of fellowship with other believers. You you don't feel anything or or, uh, don't really understand the worship. You just kind of, yeah, songs are nice, but maybe you're bored during worship. I mean, your guests are something to Jesus in church, but maybe you feel like you're kind of on the sidelines. The point is, is that as we look at our spiritual selves, as you look at your spiritual selves, we're all somewhere in this journey of following Jesus. We're somewhere. And no matter where you're at in that relationship or in that journey of following Jesus, there's, there's a question that kind of nags, really two questions. Is One is, what if you're not where you're supposed to be? And what's worse is, what if you think you're where you're supposed to be and you're far from it? What if you think you're in the right place, but you're deceived in where you're at? You know, there's the whole, the whole saying that those who think they're humble probably aren't, right? 
We often, too, don't know what we don't know, right? And so there's this kind of, when Jesus says this that we're going to read here in Matthew 7, um, you can have a couple of reactions. You can either just kind of question where you're at, um, or you can just kind of skip over it and be like, well, I know I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. But I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if we should be so quick to dismiss what Jesus is saying. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now, like I said, this is one of those scriptures for me as somebody who's dedicated their life to spiritual things, like it kind of scares me because I look at that and I think, well, they were prophesying and they were performing exorcisms and they were doing miracles. And yet Jesus said, I don't know you. You can't come with me. That kind of scares me. Like I can do all this that I'm doing. I can stand up here and preach and I can do youth ministry and I can even maybe lead people to Jesus. But yet there's a possibility that Jesus looks at me and says, I don't know you? Like, that kind of scares me, right? That kind of scares me a little bit. And so let's, let's kind of look at this, and let's talk about this a little bit, because I think it's important that we don't just kind of skip over it. Like, I know, like, doctrinally, I know about, you know, the assurance of our salvation. I know about, you know, the once saved, always saved. I know, like, like we can talk about those things, and I know where I stand on those things. I know that God is faithful to complete his promises in us, but there's, it's, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss it. Because for me, the problem's not with God, the problem's with me. And so I want to think, at least take a moment and be like, okay, Jesus, what are you actually trying to say here? What do you mean? What are you trying to teach me through this difficult thing that you say Depart from me, I never knew you. And perhaps it's because we need to be a little bit better at spiritually assessing ourselves. Or maybe we're looking through rose-colored glasses at our lives, and everything that we think about ourselves seems just, well, rosy. (laughs) I think Jesus is warning us that we need to sharpen our ability to honestly and properly judge ourselves, to pay attention to our spirituality, not compared to others, not compared to Pastor Corey, not compared to Pastor G, not compared to my small group leader, but compared to what Jesus has established for me. Because wouldn't it be a tragedy to live our lives doing things but yet missing the point. There's a path that we're all on, right? And that path leads somewhere. And so if we're on the path that's doing the will of the Father, we know that it leads to where we want to be. But is it possible that I'm on a path that doesn't lead to Jesus knowing me? And so how do we take a sober look at where we're at, how do we look at ourselves? And I'm not talking about we looking at other people, right? 
We judge ourselves. And so here's the first question I think we should ask ourselves as we try to assess where we're at. And as we look at this difficult thing that Jesus says, am I doing the will of God the Father? Am I doing the will of God the Father? Because he says in verse 21, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Well, if that's true, then I need to ask myself, is that me? Am I doing the will of the Father? And what's interesting to me about this teaching is that in that teaching, he says, they can prophesy and they can, they can cast out demons and they can do miracles and still not be doing the will of the Father. Well, what, right? Like, isn't that like God stuff? Like, wouldn't you have to have God to be able to do those things? So what is the will of the Father? We need to know how to assess if we actually are doing the will of the Father. And to give us some more context to kind of help us out, you can look at the teachings that surround this teaching that Jesus, you know, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, this piece. And Corey started us off with the Sermon on the Mount earlier this summer. But if we look at the teachings that, that kind of surround this teaching, it gives us some indication on what doing the will of the Father would look like. The first thing is right before this teaching, he talks about being aware of false prophets, but identifying them by their fruit, by the way that they act. A good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. We can self-assess by evaluating our actions. Everybody say actions. You can know that you're doing the will of God by how you respond and by how you act in everyday things. Apostle Paul says it this way, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good to each other and to all people. Similar concepts to what we've been talking about this whole time. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is what? God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So you can look at that scripture and you can kind of look and start to assess yourself, am I doing God's will? Do my actions and my responses line up to some of the things that are listed here? Or like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, do they line up to the fruit of the spirit versus the acts of the flesh? We can also look at the, the Sermon on the Mount. We can just flip back through, and I encourage you, like, read through it this afternoon. You can read through it in 20 or 30 minutes from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7 about the Sermon on the Mount. You can look at the different teachings of Jesus, and they give you indications of things that could be evident in your life to help you know if you're doing the will of the Father. But what's interesting about it is in, in the, that whole teaching, none of those teachings talk about miracles. None of those teachings talk about revivals. None of those teachings talk about healings. None of those teachings talk about those things. Those things are good. We like those things. We need those things in our life and in our church body. But Jesus doesn't talk about those as necessarily being the will of the Father for you. As you look at your actions, it's interesting that Jesus says you'll know them, you'll know them by the actions, not their gifts. Like you'll know if you're doing the will of the Father, not by, not by the gifts that he's given you, not by your talents, not by the things that you feel like you're good at and can do in your own strength, but by your actions. And you go back through the, the Sermon on the Mount and you look at things like, am I relying on God and trusting in him on prayer? Am I concerned about my attitudes and actions and behaviors, uh, my own more than other people's? 
Or do I still judge myself by my intentions and others by the way that they actually act? Am I getting better at letting God work out in me these things and making me more like him? Or is my heart wrapped up in comfort and material things and money? That's in, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Is my heart more wrapped up in the principles and systems of this world than they are in the spiritual practices of the kingdom? Do I forgive others? Do I, am I loving my enemy? Am I able to deny myself and embrace the things that Jesus is calling me to? Am I able to submit to humility instead of revenge? Do I do what I say I will do? And you can go all the way back to Pastor Corey's sermons earlier this summer and look at those things in your life. Do you have actions, a.k.a. fruit, in your life that's representative of the will of God? The capstone of the Sermon on the Mount and the teaching right after this Lord, Lord teaching is one about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. The foolish builder was lazy. He didn't take the time to set the foundation of his structure on something solid. He haphazardly and quickly built his structure on sand. He took shortcuts. He wanted to get it done. He wanted to be done with it. He wanted to plug in the formula and just move on. But the wise builder took the time to dig deep and get to the bedrock. In your spiritual assessment, in our spiritual assessment of ourselves, we need to evaluate, are we digging deep or are we just trying to plug in a formula? Look at the teachings of Jesus. Are we putting those into practice? Are we doers of the word, not just hearers of it, as James says? James 1. If the vibes that you're putting out make melodies of patience and kindness and love and joy and gentleness and faithfulness and peace and goodness, self-control, then we need to amplify the beliefs and thought patterns and practices that are producing that resonance in us. But if our resonance is distorted or it's out of tune, we... We see that there's fear and there's anger and there's vengeance and there's harsh reactions to others' mistakes. There's worry and selfish ambition and slavery to lustful addictions. There's envy, there's jealousy, there's strife, there's, and the list can go on, right? Then we need to figure out how to unplug the power that's feeding that. The fruits that we use to determine if we're a good tree, it's not our gifts, it's not our talents, it's not our competencies. It's the everyday things. It's not Sundays and camps and conferences and retreats. It's not the Sunday school class. It's not the Bible study. It's our everyday mundane attitudes and actions and responses. Like what we do Monday through Saturday matters, right? We all in agreement on that? Okay, and so as we're looking at this teaching of Jesus that's difficult, it should scare us a little bit because we should assess ourselves and find out where we're at. How we respond to our kids and when they annoy us, that matters. How we, how we treat that teacher or that coach or that administrator when we feel like they mistreated our kids, that matters. How we interact when we're tired or grumpy or sick, that matters. Because it gives us an indication of what kind of 
what's, what's in here? What's, in, what's, what's coming out from the inside? How we react when we lose matters. How we react when we win matters. How we react when we feel like we've been cheated matters. How we make people feel when we know we'll never see them again. That matters. The everyday things matter and those actions in those moments are the things that we can look at as the fruit that we're bearing. And Jesus warned that focusing on the, only the fancy spiritual things, the big things, in that we could be deceived. In that we could think we're in a spot and think we're okay and not be. In reality, we're just doing what we can in our own strength to make ourselves look better to others. As C.S. Lewis illustrated it this way in, the, in his book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a, it's a fiction book, but he has this character, Wormwood, and he's the senior, uh, the senior demon character, and he tells his apprentice, Screwtape, to work with the human tendency toward self-deception. The best way to tempt human beings is to work with their innate predisposition to think highly of themselves. So ask yourself, am I doing the will of God the Father really? Or am I doing things in my own strength? Of course, the posture and the attitude behind that is the humility. The guy beating his chest saying, I'm a sinner, God. I can't do this on my own. Keeping in mind that the everyday things point more to that than the Sunday things. Tish Warren writes this in a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. I like big ideas. I can get drunk on talk of justification, ecclesiology, humanology, Christology, eschatology. In other words, I like the formulas, right? I like the A plus B equals C, therefore this, that, and the other. I like things to be distinct, and I like to know exactly how things work. I like to know that this is this way. But these big ideas are born out, lived, believed, and enfleshed in small moments in our lives. In the places, in the days, the seasons, in the homes and communities that compose our lives. Annie Dillard famously writes, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And she says, I came across Dillard's words a couple of years before I went to seminary and throughout those years of heady theology, theological study, I kept them in my back pocket. They remind me that today is the proving ground of what I believe and whom I worship. The everyday moments matter when you're considering, am I, when you're assessing yourself, am I doing the will of the Father? The second thing to ask yourself uh, when you're spiritually assessing yourself is, I know Jesus, but does Jesus know me? I know Jesus, but does Jesus know me? Because he said in verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You say, Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. They invoked the name of Jesus and used their talents and abilities and giftings as a formula for success. And maybe they had some success but they didn't dig down deep into the bedrock of their everyday life and allow the transformative work of the gospel to deepen their relationship with Jesus to where they had a communion with him. They were just doing acts of righteousness without relationship and God 
or Jesus said, I, I don't know you. We can very easily get into a superficial kind of Christianity that just tries to plug in formulas and do righteous works without the relationship with Jesus. And so the, the question to ask yourself in finding out, like, does Jesus know me? Are you plugging in Lord, Lord? Are you plugging in a prayer as a magic formula? To just be able to do what you can do in your own strength? There's not always a neat bow on everything, is there? The Bible sometimes doesn't make sense to us. Or we don't want to listen to it because it makes us feel bad. Or we don't understand it. We don't understand why. There's not always a neat answer to the why question. So we gotta be careful that as we live out our lives trying to do what God wants us to do, that we don't have this shallow faith that's trying to plug in formulas. We can't just skip over Jesus's warning to self-assess. We need to stay spiritually alert spiritually alert there's a parable that jesus talks about the 10 bridesmaids and they they have lamps and they have oil for their lamps and they have to be ready because when the when the bridegroom comes to take them if they don't have the oil from their lamps they can't go and five of them were wise and five of them were foolish the five that were wise stayed alert they 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 had enough oil for their lamps because they were alert they were spiritually alert their heart was turned toward jesus to know Jesus, to know Jesus, and for Jesus to know them. We should not strive to be religious, just checking the box, going to church, getting our duties done, but we should strive to be more Christ-like, Christ-like. Because when we're Christ-like, we're like Christ, then Jesus says, I know you. If you look at John 15, 14 and 15, it talks about those who love me, obey me. And when you obey me, you do what I say, then I know you and I'll make you known to the Father. It's not about a formula, y'all. You know that, right? I mean, I've kind of laid that out there. When you're taking stock of what you have accomplished, when you look at your life, you look at your life, your job, your family, your, when you look at all of that, do you puff yourself up in pride and say, look what I have done. Look what I can do for the Lord and look how good I am. Or do you in humility see the true and full failure of the sin in your life and realize your need, your desperate need for Jesus? The things that you have, what you've worked hard for, your habits and all those abilities, all of that comes from God. So there's nothing that we can do in our own strength and by our own merit to get us closer to the Lord, right? And so he started the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with this idea of humility, right? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so it's not that God can't fulfill his promises in me in that I have an assurance of salvation, but it's that 
I can't get so caught up in myself and forget who it is that's giving me what I need. The Sermon on the Mount began with that humility and it ends with the wisdom that comes from humility, digging down deep and making a firm foundation, leaning on him, leaning on the spirit for the spiritual landscape that we need, for the life that we need. There's another vision that Ezekiel has um, and it's a valley of dry bones. God takes him and shows him this valley of dry bones and it's dead and lifeless. And then God says, I'm gonna raise them to life. And there's a rattling of the bones and he sees flesh and sinew and all these bones come together. And there's an army standing before Ezekiel in this vision and they were dry bones and now there's an army, but yet it says they had no breath in them. And then God breathed and he says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will have life. So when we look at our spiritual landscape, when you make that assessment, when you look at this hard teaching of Jesus that says, depart from me, I never knew you. When you take stock of your spiritual self, like what, what are you leaning on? What are you looking for? What are you doing the will of the Father? Does your, does your actions, are they playing out? Are you allowing the gospel to really transform each area of your life? I know we're not, we're not all perfect, right? And I know that when we mess up, it's not like Jesus is saying, yep, you messed up, you're going to hell now. No, we know that that's not true. But I think it's important that we look and seek God and really try to dig down. It's work. It's every day, like, not work for being saved, but work for becoming more like Jesus and leaning on him and allowing him to do that work inside of us. And when we feel like, okay, God, this is such a struggle and attention, I just, maybe I'm just not, well, you lean on him. You lean on him, you live by the spirit and not by your own understanding and you keep going back to him and then we kind of go back and forth and we realize like I did in my Bible school days, oh, I'm doing it all in my own strength and so I go back to him. How do we, how do we continually live by the spirit is we live in relationship with Jesus and we employ practices in our lives that strengthen and help us depend on him and depend on his spirit. And so... Um, in closing out, I do want to encourage you, like, one of the ways that you can live that out is getting a community group. Get in a community group. I know your lives are, are busy, but, like, it's important because there are some things of Scripture and there are some things, things about God that we will only discover when we're with other people. And so there's a community group coming up. A lot of them are coming up, but there's one that Claudia and I are doing that everybody's welcome to come to. We're gonna do it here at the church. And it teaches about spiritual practices. It teaches about things that you can do that will help you lean on the spirit. But in closing, I wanna say this prayer and I'm gonna throw it up on the screen. As you think about your life and where you are spiritually, I think it's important that we don't just check the box and move on. I think we need to really evaluate, am I forgiving? Am I loving my enemies? Am I living in humility? Am I trying to live like Jesus lives? Am I treating my classmates and my teachers? And is my heart wrapped up in the world or is it wrapped up in Jesus? And so here's a prayer that we can pray. Loving God who fills the universe and this entire room, myself and everyone in it, please help me notice what you're doing in me and the other person, help me join in that good work. If we'll just take moments in our lives, take stock, 
and notice what God is doing and join him, we'll be doing the will of the Father in those everyday moments. Amen? All right, let's pray. And I have one announcement before we end. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We love you. Appreciate you being with us and helping us through all of this. Help us navigate the tension that we find in this teaching. Help us navigate our works versus our faith versus our lifestyle. Let us not just bring a quick solution to it, but help us truly depend upon you and deepen our relationship with you, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you. Amen? All right. Uh, the announcement is we're going to go have some fun. We really want you to stay here. Uh, we're going to pull the chairs down. We'll put some tables out so you can eat in the cold if you'll just give it a minute. But even if you didn't bring anything, we've got lots of burgers, lots of hot dogs, lots of chips. So grab a food. Even if you just stay for a minute to grab some food, say hello to somebody. We'd love you to hang out and play back to school. The kids are ready to jump on the slides, I know. Glad that you're here. God bless you.